Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. It's a great day. We're going to be doing a baptism in just a little bit after our service. We're really excited about that. For these nine people who are getting baptized, these are all folks that have decided already, they previously had decided to become Christ followers. And so this is a um, really a celebration. It's a party for us to just celebrate with them as they publicly um, announce um, that they have become Christians. Some of them have recently become Christians. Others, uh, some of them have become Christians in the past few years. And so, but it's an identification. They're identifying themselves as Christians publicly. And so it's a, it's a big step of obedience. Um, and we're really glad that you've come to share that with us and them this morning. I have a video we're going to start with by showing a video from one of the men that's actually, uh, one of the men getting baptized today. His name is Mario. And so Mario in this video, it's about a six-minute video, he shares about how he becomes a Christ follower and why he has become a Christ follower. And um, I, as we rolled this the first service, it just really, really energized me um, and encouraged me. And so I hope it does the same for you. He also is going to answer the question, um, why do you want to get baptized? He's going to answer that as well. So let's take a look as we watch this. I feel like God has always been in my life. You know, not not to this extent, but I mean, I feel like God has always been there, and I just kind of like like threw him to the side or, or didn't value value that relationship with him as much as you know, not realizing how important it is, not really realizing how much of an impact, a positive impact, you know, that that could have made. That like no, like it's like here's your you know here's your lifeline, and you're like eh, I don't need that, you know. I could do it, you know, or, or I got it all figured out. Because if you would have talked to me a couple years ago, I would have had it all figured out. You know what I mean? I would have even given you some advice, you know? I, I had just been going through life with no real, like, no real focus or no real real aim. And, and, and just kind of, everything was kind of, like, on the whim. I felt like if I kept going down that the path that I was going on, it was I was gambling, and I'm not a gambler, but I was gambling, you know. And it's and it's sad because I was gambling with probably the most important you know people in my life, you know. My marriage wasn't exactly my marriage, family life wasn't, you know. I mean, it was bad, you know. You know, not that it's 100% better, you know, work in progress, but it was bad, and I really had no clue how to how to deal with it. Just some somehow I just. It, we went to we went to the Christmas service, which was awesome. The main reason why we even went was because Olivia was going to sing, my niece, and uh, you know, and, and we always try to find ways for us, our girls, to be around, you know, their cousins and stuff. So we went, and I mean, it just something felt right, you know, something felt right. It was funny because I didn't really want to go, you know. I was kind of like, eh, you know, it it was like kind of kind of because Viviana wanted to go, and I was just like, you know, for the girls. So I was just kind of along for the ride, you know, and, uh, you know, needless to say, I was, probably, I was probably the one that was most affected by it, but, um, and so going there, it was kind of at first, I think I had, like, I was, I wasn't as receptive, you know what I mean, like, to a lot of people's kindness, and I was kind of, like, feeling it out, you know, it was like, round, you know, that first round, just kind of feeling it out. And, uh, but after a while, I mean, what really, what really, 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 really helped was group. Once we, you know, you told us about going to group, we started going to group. You start hearing people's stories and you just start relating so much and, and, and 
and, and you're like, a lot of it too is you start you start feeling, you know, seeing that you're not the only one, you know, you're not the only one that feels that stress or that, you know, or makes those mistakes or, or you know, you always have this idea of, of the grass is always greener and, you know, so much common grounds, so much, so much you can relate to and so much you can learn from and it just made, it just made total sense and, and and I wanted not only for myself, but I wanted it for my family, and I wanted, I want to raise my daughters around all that. You know what I mean? Like I don't want you know them to grow up not having, you know, something to reference to help them through the good and the bad of their life. You know what I mean? Because it's gonna be there. These are decisions that I'm supposed to give them that example. You know? And it's like, like, how how good. How good is it gonna feel when I can tell them, you know, hey, you know, February 20, you know, 25th of 2015, you know, I made God the boss of my life, you know, Jesus Christ the boss of my life, and and ever since that, Daddy became a better person, you know what I mean? And Daddy, you know, started taking care of business and doing what he was supposed to be doing for, you know, to benefit you, benefit our family, you know, give you a better example and set us set, set us up for success, you know. A lot of times, um. You hear people, you know, well, how can you believe in something that, that you can't see or can't touch or, like, stuff like that? And I, I feel like you can see it. And you can touch it. You know what I mean? It's because you, it you see it in the hearts and the minds of the people that you that you come in contact with. And it makes you want to be around that more. You know what I mean? Like, I look forward to groups. You know, I look forward to, to you know, talking to whoever. You know what I mean? I feel I look forward to, you know, service on, on Sundays. And you, and you start talking to these people and they, and they start telling you, you know, the changes that they've made and how much of a positive impact. And you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, whatever his whatever his or her issue was, you know, it's, it's like they found it. They found a solution or, or at least a better way to deal with it, you know, through Christianity and through the book. You know what I mean? And, you know, although, yeah, stuff gets tough and, you know, life is life. It's almost like you you have like peace of mind that you know it's gonna work out you know it, because you have the best backup you can <laughs> you can have you know and I and the and the best best like book that you can reference you know it's like you know Google that you know. <laughs> uh, why do you want to get baptized? <sighs> Tell the world you know. Uh, to me, it's kind of it's a celebration. At the same time, it's 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 a, to me it feels like a symbol of that new start. You know what I mean? Almost like I'm cleaning myself of my old old ways and like a whole, starting off with the you know clean slate. It's like it's like the day after it rains. You know, <laughs> you know it's just it just it seems like everything is greener, everything is cleaner. Every, you know the birds are chirping. You know it's so I feel like it, it, it's it's kind of like that for me, you know. It's like washing away, like I, you know, washing away all those, all those, those mistakes and, and the error of my ways and stuff, stuff like that, and starting off with a clean slate. And that is that's a powerful story to hear. This this story, and, and the, some like that, is really why we started this church seven years ago, isn't it? And for those of you that have been here from the start, 
Um, this is why we started this church. We, we recognize that there are people who are not yet following Christ and are looking for hope and a direction for their life. And that's why we started. Riverside did not need another church just for all the Christians. Riverside still needs more churches to be planted to reach those that are not yet church and that are going their own way in life. And so as we've come alongside and seen guys like Mario and others in the congregation, many of you that have come to Christ, it's just an amazing thing to see God really at work in your lives. And just as he put it, I mean, there were so many things he said in there that just was so encouraging, where he says, you know, seeing God at work in the hearts and the minds of real people, that, that God tugged on his heart to say, wow, you need to give this a consideration. He's meeting people in a small group that he began attending even before he became a Christian, getting to know what is it like to, to do church life? What is it like to walk with Jesus? What do Christians do? Well, he starts coming to church, starts going to small group, interacting, listening to the Bible, talking about what the Bible means, having conversations, and God opened his eyes. And I don't know what the day was, February 20-something, I think he said, 2015, you know, he made Jesus Christ the boss of his life. He's one of the nine that's getting baptized today. And one of the statements they're going to make in their baptism, they're going to make a confession. Um, The statement is this. I'm going to ask him a question. Um, have you made Jesus the boss of your life? And they're going to say, Jesus is my boss, and the Bible is my guide, and I'm going to baptize him. And uh, it's a celebration. And when we baptize each of those people, it gives us a chance to cheer them on and just to mimic the celebration that already began in heaven for their lives and the difference that Jesus has made. If you can identify with Mario, and you're like, man, I want to talk to someone. God's been working in my life, and, and you've been coming around, and you just want to get more clarity on what it means to know him personally. And to be able to uh, be moving in a different direction, to do you know this major turn, U-turn in your life, we'd love to help you get clear on what that means. And uh, our staff will be at the guest info table right after service. And so if you'd like to talk, please let us know. We'd love to do that. Also, if you're here and you've not yet been baptized, and you're like, man, I'd still, I'd love to get baptized. I am a Christ follower. Like you have already made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you'd like to publicly, like go public with that. Um, come and talk to one of our staff members. We can. Uh, make sure you're clear on what the Bible teaches about baptism. It is, a, it is a step of obedience. It is not a step that saves you. It's a step you take after you have already gotten right with God. And so we'd love to tell you, tell you more about that. Let's pray together again as we uh, kind of turn a corner and look at this morning's message. Father, again, we thank you for the work you're doing here in our lives, in our church. Thank you for the way that we have been teaming together with you, Lord, cooperating to, to make you known in our area. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for, for tugging on our hearts, for drawing us to yourself. And I just pray that you'd open our eyes to your word and your truth this morning. Help us to uh, get a clear grasp of some of these questions that we're looking at this morning about who Jesus is and the difference he makes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started this message series on questions that people have about Jesus. Really, questions that skeptics have about Jesus. So we launched on Easter to look at some of the challenging questions that that we might have or that a person who's skeptical might have. Last week we looked at, did Jesus claim to be God? And he did. He claimed to be God. And then he demonstrated it. Um, Miracles, raising someone from the dead, delivering people from problems and sickness, and eventually predicting his own death and resurrection. And then he pulls it off by being raised from the dead. From the dead, he pulls it off. He proved that he was God. Then his followers went and proclaimed, this Jesus that you guys crucified, he's God. He was raised from the dead. 
And so the goal of this series is really to ask some key questions that, that people ask, and then with as much uh, as possible to let Jesus, in his own words, answer the questions that, that we would have. And so when it comes to questions in our world today, uh, we have access to answers in just a few seconds with our phones or with our computers. We can, you know, we can find anything out. But sometimes Google or sometimes Siri come up short. You ask a question, it's like, that's, that's not my, you know, you're going to have to find out from someone else. I asked Siri the question about religion, and it, it said, um, well, you can ask. I, I don't have my phone. I would ask, but it's kind of a funny answer. And uh, it refers you to talk to a real person, you know, about that. So there's limits. And so here's the question we're considering this morning. The question is this, is Jesus the only way to God? Now, we talked about this last week, that we're going to look at this issue, and it is a, it brings up this issue of why is Christianity so exclusive? It seems very, very narrow-minded to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. That seems very arrogant, seems very narrow-minded, because there are many, many good people who do not follow Jesus. So how could those good people not be on the right path as long as they're doing good and acting in line with their beliefs? How could that not be okay for them? How could God not be okay with that? Um, another similar question. Are there other ways or are there other paths to heaven or is Jesus really the only path or the only way to get to God? And if he is, it does seem that the Christian viewpoint is a narrow-minded, arrogant, and exclusive one. Now, I have a good friend who, when we first met, um, he knew I was a pastor and we were at a party like a dinner party together, and I was mingling, meeting people, and I had just we had just started this church not long before this, and um, I've got like a Coke in my hand, I'm walking around, and he, through his, uh, his wife and my wife, were in a mom's club here in Orange Crest together, and his wife found out that my wife was married to a pastor, and they, they were not Christ followers, in fact, they were... Um, you know, they had other thoughts on, on how life worked, and they had some thoughts on their own religion. And, and um, no joke, his first words to me at a party was this. He comes up to me, he's like, hey, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm about to get hammered right here. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't understand how anyone could believe in a God who's the owner of an exclusive club. I got my Coke, and I'm like, I, I said, hmm. I just said, hmm. I took a sip. I, I think I introduced myself. We tried to have a conversation. It was pretty awkward. Uh, he eventually became a Christian. About six months later, he committed his life to Christ, and um, we're still good friends. But in his view, he saw that in life, everyone was trying to reach the top of the same mountain and we all just take different routes to get there. This was his thinking. And that is a very, very common thought. Is that there's, there's a mountain, and we're all trying to get to the top. And so take Mount Rubidoux, for example, near downtown Riverside. For, for instance, it has many paved trails to get to the top of Mount Rubidoux. And depending on how many calories you want to burn or how challenging you want that hike to be, you choose a trail. And some people, they don't even want to go up the trail. They just scurry right up the side with their kids, you know. And, and they just they just shoot right up aside. And it's true. If you stick with it, it's true. Eventually, everyone arrives at the top. 
you keep going, you're eventually going to get to the top. That same thinking is often applied to comparing religions. That this is just a bunch of paths to the same place. Well, what did Jesus say? Is Jesus the only way to God? That's the question we're asking. What did he say? And I want to look at this from what he said in one of his last conversations. We're going to look at John chapter 14, looking at verses 1 through 7. This is his, one of his last conversations before his death that he knows is coming. Jesus answers this question. He's speaking to his disciples hours before he's about to be arrested, before he's about to be on trial, put on trial, beaten, and then crucified. And he's just told his disciples that it was all going to begin because one of them, one of his 12 disciples, had betrayed him. And that he was betrayed and he was going to be handed over to the religious authorities. And so he says, and one of you did that. And so they're all starting to get very worried at this point. He's talking about leaving. He's talking about being handed over, being put to death. But he'd rise again and all these things he's saying. They're getting really concerned about their future. And they, they're seeing their you know, they're seeing Jesus, their leader, doing all these amazing things, and they're thinking, man, we're on top of the world. We're with this superhero guy who's doing, he's pulling off these amazing things. This is really good. We're really close to him. We have a relationship with him. Jesus, can, can you remember us when we get in your, when you go to your kingdom? Can we sit on your right and your left hand? You know, they're thinking, we've got a front row pass to the number one guy in the world right now. But then he says, it's all about to change. I'm leaving. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. And they're like, wait, what? Then he says this, John 14, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. So he starts talking about heaven. Okay. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's, heaven is this place got lots of space. There's plenty of space for all of you. It's got all these rooms. Then he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The door to my father's house, he's saying, is not yet open to you. He's like, I'm going to my father's house. I have to prepare it so that you can come. It's not open to you yet. You cannot go where I'm at yet. I've got some things I've got to do. Because what he's about to do is he's about to go to the cross and die for the sins of people, of men and women. And he's about to be raised from the dead. And that act is what makes all the difference for us to have a relationship with, with God. Verse 4, he says this. Look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. All this time when Jesus was with them, he's making these statements and claims that he is more than a man. He's claiming to be God, claiming to be equal with God the Father in, in power, in nature, and all these things we looked at last week. He could raise the dead. He, could, he had the power to forgive people of sin. He himself never sinned. And so he's here he's saying, I told you that I've come from the Father, and now I'm about to go back to the Father. Look at what he says in verse 5. Thomas is like, Thomas, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, and here's the verse that really answers the question we're asking. Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known me, my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. In Jesus' own words, he's answering the question that we're asking. 
And he's saying, you know, Jesus basically said in his own words that he was the only way to God. Jesus said this. It's not something that narrow-minded Christians, you know, can claim for themselves. This is what Jesus said of himself. Look again at verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't point people to certain a certain set of duties. He doesn't say, go do all these good things with your life. Give money. Help people. Uh, he doesn't give them a bunch of religious hoops to jump through, which we tend to think, i got to get my act together. I better start doing good things. I'm doing a lot of bad things. Man, i got a lot of good to catch up with all the bad I've done. And so we think in terms of scales of good and bad. Jesus is not, he doesn't tell them to do that. He doesn't even say, hey, go talk to a guy. He doesn't send them down this road and turn right where the rooster sits. There's a rooster always there. Go down there. You're going to see a beggar on the road. Give him some money. Do that. Then go around the corner, pray five prayers and do this over there. And then go back and come to the temple. And and then we're going to meet up there and I'll tell you more. No, he says this. Instead of pointing to things to do, he says, look, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No amount of good is going to tip the scales to where the gates of heaven just spring open for you. If you want to see the Father, Jesus says, then I am the way. Really what he's saying is my death is the way. I'm about to show you how to get to the Father. My death is the way. My words are truthful. No eternal life exists apart from me. You've got to go through me, Jesus is saying. A few chapters earlier in John 10, 9, look at what he says. He he says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He's talking about how he's the only one who leads people to the abundant, the full life. Jesus is the door. The only one, though. That is that. Why is this so exclusive, Jesus? If you think about the context of what he's saying in John chapter 14, he's actually speaking to his closest followers and friends who he cares deeply for. And he knows that his death, he knows that his resurrection is imminent. And his statements right here is actually, these are statements of real compassion, not arrogance. And I'd like you to note that. If you're taking notes, verse 6 is a statement of compassion. It's not a statement of arrogance. Because Jesus wants to be found. (laughs) He's like, I I want you to be where I'm going. I want you to be in heaven. I I want you to be living with me eternally. He, He wants to see them again. He's not playing some cruel game of hide and seek like, all right, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to find me. I'm out of here. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, guys, remember everything I said? Puzzle it together and figure out what to do next. See ya. No. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is him saying, look, believe in me. This is a statement of real compassion. Trust me. Trust in me. Trust in the work I'm about to do. A lot is going to come really clear as soon as you see what's about to happen. But trust me, I know you're nervous, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, it would be like taking your baby to the doctor and receiving the diagnosis that he or she has jaundice and your baby needs to be placed under the lights at the doctor's office in order to deal with this medical condition. Or if you don't do it, it could lead to long-term damage, your doctor says. And you're thinking to yourself, there's got to be another way to cure my baby than this. 
what gives him the right to say that I've got to do it his way? And so we start looking for options. Because we don't like to be limited in our options. We don't like to be given one option. Think about when you go to the restaurant. You don't like one option. I know very few places that that actually limit options. Most of the time it's exhausting. Cheesecake Factory, pages and pages. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I just want to eat some food. I'm so confused. There's one place in Texas I went to, and it's the best, you know, if you don't like options, go there because you get two options. They say chicken or steak. And they mean fried chicken or chicken fried steak. So you sit down. Chicken or steak? Chicken. But we don't like being limited in our options. Another example, if a doctor were to examine you and diagnose that you had a deadly disease, but they don't want to offend you, and they don't want to tell you their diagnosis and what they found out from tests, because they're thinking, man, if I tell them the truth here, they're going to get mad at me. And they're going to be, they might be offended. They might even punch me out. They may start crying. And I don't, I don't want to tell them the truth. We would think, you're a mean doctor because you didn't tell me the truth. You knew the truth and you didn't tell me what I needed to know. See, Jesus in his own words, out of love for people and his people, out of love for us, he told his followers that he was the only way to God. He limited the options. Then after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, look what happened. His followers taught the same thing. It wasn't just that Jesus said this. His followers picked up on this. They began to teach this. The early church began to teach the same thing. Why did they do this? Because they remembered and they believed what he taught. The church was commanded by Jesus to proclaim this message and to bear witness to the fact that he was the way to eternal life. This is why Christians don't just keep this message to ourselves. The reason you don't keep the message to yourself is because Jesus commanded you to share this with others. Because you have the hope of the world. He wants you to share that. Look at Acts 1.8. Jesus commissions. He sends his disciples after his resurrection, all that, to prove that he was God. He says, but you, he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That word witness actually is the word in Greek. It's the same word as martyr. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's saying, look, you're going you're to share about me here. You're going to bear witness. Some of you are even going to pay the price for this. All but one of the disciples were martyred. <clears throat> the one who wasn't martyred, he was exiled to an island. He was. They tried to kill him at one point, putting John in a cauldron of of oil boiling oil didn't kill him but he was exiled to die on an island all of those first disciples they paid with their very lives to advance this message why well they believed that jesus was the only way to the father he was the only way that people could have eternal life and so they made sure everyone knew this was true and under severe pressure to conform and threats to be quiet they kept on opening their mouths and sharing this message boldly Here's one example of it. Acts 4.12, Peter, he gets up and he tells this whole crowd of people who was, who was stirred up and wondering how someone just performed a miracle in Jesus' name. What gives you the right to do that? And Jesus says this, 
or Peter says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's giving all the credit to Jesus. And he's saying, he's saying this is, he's the only way people can be saved. Now look at this verse and see how similar Peter's words are to Jesus' words in John 14, 6. Look at John 14, 6. If you move forward, actually just move forward, you can kind of see him in comparison. There it is. They're so similar, what Peter's saying. No other name by which men must be saved. Jesus saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now this statement the disciples were preaching, it wasn't arrogant or it wasn't narrow-minded. It was that Jesus was the one who had the right take on the problem. And he provided the singular solution. He, had the, he knew the real problem with all humanity, and he, he offered the singular solution. The problem was not that there wasn't good people in the world. The problem is not that you're not good enough. Okay. Or the, the problem isn't that, that you're not good. The problem is that you're not good enough. Every human being who's ever lived fails to keep God's perfect laws. None of us get it all right. You can never do enough good. And God's justice, because God is a just God, He's loving, He's just. Because of His justice, His justice requires punishment for breaking His laws. And God's mercy is demonstrated by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ and saying to the judge, who is his father, I will take the punishment on their behalf. Let them go. And he takes the full force of God's anger against humanity's sin, our sin. He takes that upon himself, which then becomes the grounds for forgiveness. This is what they believed. And were willing to even suffer to proclaim. And look, it was mind-boggling for the onlookers. Look at the response, Acts 4.13. It was mind-boggling. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the, Peter proclaims no other name given among men by which men must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. See, this is, honestly, this is a little bit of what, what Mario was sharing in that, in that story. He sees common people in a small group and gets to interact with some people. And he's like, wow, these are, these are normal people, but they have something. They're hanging on to something that is true. I want that. There's, there's, God, God uses your lives and the difference that he's making as you share, as you open your mouth and share with others. He uses that to stir in other people's hearts. And so as we read what Jesus said, and what his followers taught. Here's the truth. Our options are limited to complete acceptance or total rejection of him. This limits our options. As we really read what he taught and see what the Bible teaches, our options are limited. To completely accept Jesus as Lord, as boss of your life, devote your life to following him, yield your life to him, do life his way, complete acceptance or reject that guy was crazy. He didn't know what he was talking about. Now, we have a choice to make. God is not looking down at the world as different religious clubs. Here's the Muslim club. Here's the Jewish club. Here's the Buddhist club. Here's the Hindu club. Here's the New Age club. Here's the Christian club. He's not like saying, you know what? 
I just like the Christian club better. And to heck with everyone else. That's not what that's not what God is doing. No, he's looking down at all humanity, everyone who is desperately wicked in our native condition. We're desperately wicked because we're sinful. We we don't get it all right. We're not perfect. He looks down all of humanity and compared to his standards of holiness and righteousness, he's looking down at all humanity who desperately needs to be rescued and he offers a pardon and he gives people an opportunity either to accept it on his terms or reject it but again it's on his terms and if we accept and follow jesus those are god's terms to accept and follow jesus those are his terms if we do that then we fall under the mercy that is provided under those terms through jesus's shed blood and forgiveness we fall under that mercy and grace And we receive forgiveness. His blood covers over our life of sin. And we're seen by the Father through the perfect work of Jesus. He covers over our sin. That's grace. I didn't deserve that. You don't deserve that. God loves you. has provided that opportunity. But if we don't accept it, then we stand really on our own two feet before God and we fend for ourselves. That's the choice that he puts before us. And I want to shift gears because there are some things that makes Christianity unique and different. A popular stream of thought today is that religion is all primarily psychological experience. And this is just, this is just some, you know, we can design our own view of God. This is the thinking today. You can design your own view of God, your own view of religion. Today, everybody's an expert on their own experience. And so it would be rude and arrogant of me to try to convince you that my experience is more valid than your experience because that's degrading. However, Christianity is based on the life and the teaching of a historical person, Jesus Christ. And we looked at John 14, which gives a very compassionate conversation which Jesus had with his closest followers to assure them of heaven. And Jesus' life and teaching put Christianity in the realm of truth over experience. See, he, this is rooted in history. And he said some things. This puts Christianity in our understanding of it. It puts it in a realm of truth, not just experience. And it's not that Christ's followers do not have deep emotions connected to worshiping Jesus. It's that the truth of his teachings, what he actually said, becomes the framework for us to evaluate basically all of our experiences. And Christianity was founded by a person in history. So in saying that Jesus is the only way, it's not that Christians are being arrogant or narrow-minded. They're choosing to be loyal to the one that they follow. It's, it's a matter of loyalty. It's not a matter of arrogance. I'm better. No, it's a matter of I'm being loyal to the one that I follow. And to respond to the truth and to the offer of what God has said is the singular solution to man's problem. Another common belief is that all religions are basically the same thing. When you strip them all down, one thought is they're all the same. If you just strip them all down, they all say the same thing. For instance, all, all religions tend to have a version of the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. There's some real similarity across the religious spectrum. But since Christians follow the teachings of Jesus, as we measure the similarity of religions based upon what Jesus actually said, this is where we begin to see the irreconcilable differences between what he said and what other religions teach. Every other leader of other major world religions says, follow me and I will show you the way to salvation. 
I will show you the way. I'll show you the things you need to do to be saved. Jesus says, I am the way to salvation. It's through me. It's not through what you do. It's through me. You go through the work I did on the cross. There's a very famous Bible story that's, that's called the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15 about a son who squanders his parents' wealth, goes and lives a wild life. It's a story Jesus tells. And it's his loving father that, that, uh, that basically is just longing for him to come home. Well, there's a Buddhist version of the prodigal son's story. And on the surface, the Buddhist version of the prodigal son's story seems very similar to the Christian version. But if you look closely through the two stories, really that illustrates the differences, the major difference between Christianity and other world religions. In the Buddhist story, the son has to work off the penalty by spending years and years in servitude. In Jesus' story, in Luke chapter 15, the loving father showers the son with undeserved grace and forgiveness. And at the heart of Christianity is Jesus' teaching that God loves us and he wants to make a way for our sin to be forgiven to the point that he stepped into our world and he made that possible by dying in our place. That's the grace and that's the mercy of God. Christianity is unique. Here's some specifics. What makes Christianity different from other world religions? Number one, a triune God. We believe the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. You can look at the chart base. There's a chart on the back of the handout and kind of see the differences between some of the major world religions. For instance, if you look and see what is taught about God is different. It's very different. You can't just say all religions are saying the same thing because look at them. They're not saying the same thing. They're very different. I've given you this on the back of your handout so that you can check this out later. I'm not going to walk through all of this, but it's quite different. Number two, though, on on the front of your listening guide, number two, what makes Christianity different is a historical root and validation. There are events in both the Old Testament and New Testament that can be investigated and validated. We, we, can, we can look at the archaeological proof. In fact, next week we're going to look at some of the archaeological reasons, you know, backing up the, histor- the, kind of the historicity questions of, of Christianity and the Bible. Archaeology, fulfilled prophecy. There's, things, there's real events in history that back up what the Bible teaches and what Jesus claimed. Other religions are often based just on the teachings and not on events. So it's hard to verify. It's hard to figure out, okay, what is this? How do I even get a grip on some of these things? Third thing is a resurrected leader with historical testimony. We've been talking about this last week. We talked about the resurrection and the power, uh, the proof that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was in fact God. I invite you to check out last week's message. Or even if you need a copy of um, the case for Easter, we, we may... I don't think we have any copies here, but we can get you a copy if you'd like um, to look more into the resurrection. And then last, human humility makes Christianity different. Man cannot fix his situation. God did. In all other religions, there's a specific kind of pride and arrogance that can develop because you've done all the good that you should be doing and you, you think you've earned your way to salvation. This is the opposite of following Christ. When we look closely... We can't really say all religions are the same thing. They're very different. And again, it's not accurate to say Christians are narrow-minded and and exclusive or or arrogant for believing that Jesus is the only way. It's it's really a matter of loyalty. It's a matter of loyalty. 
just really quickly, um, Jim Graham, he shared in our last service, he's going to share briefly again about Jim is a missionary in Taiwan. And the question I asked him last um, service was, is this just an American church, an American kind of Christian viewpoint about Jesus being the only way to God? How do you see this in Asia as you do ministry? Well, there? in Asia, it's the number one question we face every time we share the gospel with anyone is the exclusivity of Christ. You know, the, the Buddhists, Taoists, animists of Taiwan will have hundreds and thousands of gods. And they'll ask the question of, well, why, why is Christ different? And it's the real question that, that we always have to answer. And so the typical conversation will go like this. You'll get into a cab, and the cab driver, the front dashboard of his car, will have 10 or 15 idols of what these different gods are. And um, I'll say to him, uh, well, m- s- sir, do you have a religion? Uh, um, we do this in Mandarin, not English. Um, and um, he, he'll look at me in the rearview mirror, and he'll roll his eyes, and he'll say, what do you think? Do you see all this up here? Of course I have a religion. Now, why are you asking me such a stupid question? And, um, and I'll say, well, this, this God right here, who, and, and he'll, inevitably he or she will say, well, all gods are the same. Your religion makes you a better person. Mine makes me a better person. I'm Taiwanese, so I'm Buddhist, Taoist, animist. You're from America or Canada, so you're, you're a Christian. So, um, and then uh, I'll ask him, well, well, what about this guy, Tutiguan, the god of, of the land? What was Tutiguan before they became a god? Well, it was a man, and he did good things. And so all of a sudden, he became a god. What about this one, Matsu, the god of the sea? Well, she did really good. And one day she became a god. And I said, well, so all of these gods were human who became gods. And I said, well, let me ask you just one question. Just one question. You know, in the Bible it says that Jesus was God. He became a man. And, you know, we can go into a store, and, and I've seen it multiple times. They'll have a God shelf there where they have these gods, and during the day they'll buy by, they'll worship those gods. You know, on that shelf, you'll sometimes see the baby Jesus from a nativity scene alongside the, all the other gods. And, um, and I'll say, well, now Jesus was God who became man. So is he the same as all these other gods? And regularly, the, the cab drivers will say, Oh, I need you to stop talking. You're talking so deep, and my head's starting to hurt. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll just ask the question, is this the same? And every time they'll say, no, it's not the same. Jim, is, uh, you're here for another ten days, nine days, I think. Nine days, 19 hours, and 32 <laughs> minutes. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Jim is, uh, Jim, and actually, did you want to? Your, your, did you want to say anything to the congregation? He's, he's actually a missionary with the International Mission Board. And, uh, you know, as, as a church, we're part of a network, larger network of churches to support missionaries who are doing uh, ministry to share Jesus around the world. Well, one of the things that um, we do have some prayer cards, my wife and I, and if you would like to pray for us, we'd love to give you one. Um, but I think one of the most important things that we could ask you to do for us and I think it's, it's something that each and every one of us need to do each and every day is ask God to make much of Christ every day. 
you know, the most important question that anyone would deal with, you know. Lots of people will say to me, Jim, what about all those people around the world who've never heard? And my statement is, that's a secondary question. Because unless you deal personally with the question of, what about Jesus? Then you're part of the problem, and you're not part of the answer. And so today, Josh and and the rest of the staff of the church, myself, we'd love to help you answer that question. What are we going to? What are you going to do about Christ? Because that is the most important question any of us could deal with in life. And so, as a missionary, and as for Josh, your pastor, our pastor, for any of the ga- people who are on staff at church, and for the people in our small groups, the most important question is: Are we going to make much of Jesus today? And that's the most important thing. So today, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to just leave him in the on the nativity or on the cross? Or what are you going to do with him today? Yes, Jim. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. and Our ushers are going to prepare to receive the offering this morning. And if this has been helpful for you, I want to encourage you to pursue Christ. Investigate what it means to follow him. Ask God to speak to you and show you that he is alive, that he's real. Ask him. Begin to pray and ask God. God, show show yourself to be real. Can you help to help this stuff make sense to me more? Some, would you help fill in the details and the holes in my mind of, of what I'm not getting? Um, if you're already a Christ follower, don't be afraid to share your faith with others. Don't be afraid to share the message of Jesus and really aim to introduce people to him. Be confident in prayer. Be confident as you share him with others. Um, share that he's alive, that he's working, that he's changing your life. Um, I would hate that God's correction to me or to our church would be that we kept to ourselves his solution to mankind's problem. I would hate that we just kept that to ourselves.